Well, good morning. Good morning. My name's Eric, if you don't know me, and uh, we'd love to get to know you if you're new to our church, give you a gift out in the courtyard at the Welcome Center. Um, also, if you're online, welcome. We're glad you joined us. Uh, you can click the QR code in front of you or on the screen and hit I'm new so we can help connect you to our church family. And so we'd love to do that with you. Uh, also, remember baptism at the end of service. We're excited for that. So after uh, uh, worship concludes, hopefully you'll stay around and be able to celebrate people professing their faith in Jesus. Amen. And then also just uh, save the date, February 5th, uh, Scott Aravandis, a pastor in Kingsburg and also a professor at Masters University. He's going to be teaching on family discipleship and hard conversations with our kids and how to disciple our kids best and just some uh, tips and ways to do that. That'll be February 5th from eight, uh, February 5th from 8 to 12 and we'll have breakfast and uh, you can register online for that. So we're in Galatians chapter 6. We're doing a little mini-series here on uh, just keeping watch. And the idea, you know, we talked about last week is to watch uh, what the world is doing, that Satan is the prince of the world, and we need to be uh, mindful, watchful, sober-minded of what he's doing, know what's going on so that we're prepared. And this week what we're going to do is take watch or keep watch over our own holiness, our own um, personal relationship with the Lord, our own sanctification, our, our own aim to be like Christ. And so as we do that, it's just so important that we realize that, man, the, the Bible just commands us over and over again to keep watch, to keep watch, um, that we are to not kind of just take our eyes off Christ and take our eyes off what we're doing. And so what we want to do is uh, get into this passage and see what God has for us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much uh, just for Galatians chapter 6, and we pray that your word would illuminate our heart, that your word would guide us, convict us, encourage us, give us great hope, and uh, give us direction as uh, the world is often uh, chaotic and crazy, and it can beat us down and make us feel hopeless and helpless, and I just pray your word would encourage us and give us strength, uh, give us clarity and purpose, and so we're so thankful for your word. We pray it would be your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's just keep in mind whenever we're coming to a passage, one of the best things you can do to come to church is read the verses before it and the verses after it. We call that upstream and downstream. And so that way you kind of have an idea of how the passage fits in the, in the larger chapter and the larger story. Because um, we can't always preach the whole chapter. Otherwise, we'd be here for two to three hours, which I know you guys are dying for. But um, we can't always fit that in. So it helps know what's going on. And so just to give a little context here in, in Galatians 5, uh, really all of Galatians, Paul is very stern. And he's writing <clears throat> the Galatians saying, hey, you guys need to repent. And you've, you've gone too far with the law. And you're, you're not accepting the Gentiles as Christians. And so he's coming into chapter 5 and he's saying, here's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Here's what it means to die to the flesh. And then he gives this little part right here, and he says, and, verse 6, you need to, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. So it's saying, fruit of the spirit, not to walk in the flesh. And when people sin, the, the, the people who are spiritual, who know Christ, need to help them out. This is good news, Right? And it's great news because what it's saying is that the Bible commands us to help each other in a gentle, loving, kind way. 
and that we're never to be alone and that we should expect a fall. It's going to be hard to walk uh, in the fruit of the Spirit and we're going to be tempted to go in the flesh. However, there is a temptation. There is a temptation that when we try to help people, that instead of trying to help them, we will inevitably just end up feeling better about ourselves. That's why verse 2 is so important. Because he says, keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So we're going to look at knowing your temptation. And so what we want to do is that we're always commanded to help people. That we're to help them grow and be like Christ. But what ends up happening is that we will can sometimes, and I think unintentionally, use people, other Christians, in one of two ways. They either become a pawn in our own kingdom, or they become a ruler that we measure ourselves against. Um, the pawn is, I use you to feel better about myself. Oh, I did my Christian duty. Now I'm good. Now I can add that to the list. Now God owes me. Or it's the ruler. And it's like, oh, wow, my marriage is way better than theirs. I feel much better. Their kids are more evil than mine. They are not as smart as I am. They do worse. They swear a lot more than I do, right? They get drunk five days a week. I'm three days a week. Whatever it is, it becomes this measuring stick that we uh, feel better about ourselves. And so within the passage, it's saying, look, you're going to help people and you're going to restore people, but you need to watch out. You need to watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted and, be and bear one another's burdens. And then in four, it says, or look at three, he says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so what we want to do is make sure that we don't uh, deceive ourselves that we don't fall into this temptation. This is what happens even to Peter within this book. Peter, who, you know, is an apostle. He loves Jesus. He's there at Acts 2, beginning of the church. He's sent out like Paul to go plant churches. And so in the middle of that, he gets caught up in the Jewish mindset that we need to keep the law, that we can't eat unclean meat, that, that Gentiles are lesser Christians. They're not even real Christians. And Paul goes to Galatia and he rebukes him. Well, what was he doing? He wasn't keeping watch on his own personality. Because what do we know about Peter? He's brash. He's haughty. He rushes into judgment. He's quick to, to, to think he's right. I mean, he even tells Jesus he's wrong. That's pretty bold, isn't it? No? I guess we do that. No, that's bold, isn't it? Think about that. And so what Peter finds himself doing is not watching his own soul, while he's there trying to help other people, he ends up joining them, being like them. And so that's the temptation we need to be cognizant of, that, to know our temptations, to know where we are. And so for Peter, the temptation is going to be to be legalistic, to be prideful, to be brash, to be emotional, not thoughtful. And he needs to be careful with those people around. Think of doubting Thomas. What is his temptation? To doubt, to question to not think, to not trust, to not trust the Lord. Think of Samson. He trusts his own strength. He gets haughty. He gets confident. He gets prideful. And he makes error after error, compromise after compromise. Think of David, a man after God's own heart, lust with his eyes, right? The success gives him more and more courage, more and more courage, lets his guard down. He's in a place he shouldn't be, and then he's watching where he shouldn't be, and then he's acting when he shouldn't act. And so this is why the Bible says in the midst of trying to help people, we need to watch our own temptations, lest we fall or we fall in it. 
So it's very important we realize that we have to keep a constant watch on the things we're tempted by. And we'll get to this later, but more importantly is that we don't use people as a false um, success model. Well, at least I'm better than that guy, so I don't need to worry. You know, there will not be a day when we stand before Jesus and he goes, who are you better than? And you're like, these three guys. He's like, you're in. Great. Good job. Right? Like, do you guys know that verse? Because if you do, that makes life really simple. Just go down to a prison, find three guys, and you're good for life. Right? But that's not what it said. We're, the standard is Christ. And what happens when we start helping people out, we can get this false sense of security that, man, we're crushing it spiritually. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Don't let that happen to you, Christian. Keep watch. And so that bears in the context of chapter 5. Chapter 5 goes, here, here are the things of the Spirit, but also here are a list of things in the flesh. We need to die to the things of the flesh and live in the Spirit. So the things we're to keep watch on tie back into the things of the flesh. And so we're going to go over some of those just to start thinking through, man, I need to keep watch. And where are the areas? Oh, that hits me. That hits me. I need to keep watch on these things so that I don't fall into temptation because I'm not uh, keeping watch over my emotions, my attitudes, my <clears throat> anxieties, my fears, the areas that cause me to wander from God, to doubt God, to not trust God, to want to take vengeance in my own hands. So first one is pride. We all have pride in one form, area, to a degree or another. And in pride, that's saying, no, God, my way. I want to do this. Pride, it kind of comes out in forms of control. And you ever notice people get really controlling over weird things sometimes. Why? Because it's comforting. If it happens this way, then everything will be okay. And the second it doesn't, we get upset and we get angry. And usually angry at God because if it just would have happened our way, then God would learn things would be better. And so pride has this way of giving us a false sense of the way things ought to be, the way things should be. And so just to think through, you know, control sometimes satisfies fear. You can control the situation and you're not afraid. Anxiety, instead of going to the Lord and trusting him, being open to what he might do, what he might call you to, what he might ask of you, we, we stick our feet and we dig our heels in pride and say, no, this is the best way. And then when it doesn't work in our pride, we blame other people and we complain. Okay? So this is something to be mindful of. Where do I have a lot of pride? Where do I struggle maybe to admit where I'm wrong? Where do I struggle maybe to let other people be in charge or, or, or give God control to trust his judgments and his timing? Right? Greed would be another one. J.D. Rockefeller once said that the more he wanted, the more he got. And the more he got, the more empty he felt. Greed is this idea of I just have this, then everything will be fine. We say that to God a lot. God, if I could just get this, then I'll go to church more. If I could just have this, then I'll pray more. If I could just get there, then I'd read my Bible more. Then I'd disciple my kids. Then I would do this. But God, I just need to get this right now. I just need this. And then we add it. And then we love it for like a month. And then it's gone. And then we need something else. Greed is that desire that drives us to say, you know, God is good, but this is better. If I can just add this to my accomplishments, if I could just add this to my wealth, if I could just add this to my resume, if I could just add this to my friendships, somehow this will make me better. And so we start with pride and we start with greed because back in that Ephesians 5 list, it uses things like anger, strife, and rivalries. 
James warns us about rivalries and people backbiting and devouring each other. Well, where does that come from? It comes from pride. I'm right. You're wrong. I don't care. And greed. I need more. And so you take those two together and all of a sudden what you have is this, I will kill you to get what I need. I will devour you. And so you find yourself willing to trample people, willing to hurt people, because you need that feeling and security, material thing to satisfy something that Christ is not satisfying in you. So that's why the Bible warns us in Galatians 5, hey, we need not be conceited. We need not cause rivalries and divisions and anger and strife and gossip. And so we need to be mindful and watchful of these things. Laziness. If you ever notice, any good relationship's a lot of work, isn't it? No? You guys just wake up and everything's fine? You're just always on the same page? You read each other's minds? It's like a Nicholas Sparks book all the time, right? No, come on, let's be honest. It's not how it works. It's a lot of work. It's work with sinners living together, whether the sinner's your spouse, the sinner's your kid, or the sinner's your boss. Relationships are hard, right? Okay, and so it's very easy to be lazy and not put work into these things. It's easy to not want to read our Bibles, not want to pray, and not want to go to church, not want to get to know God, not to want to know ourselves, know our sin, know, know where our weaknesses are. And, and so in, in laziness, it's important that we watch, like, why don't I want to put in the work to know God? Why don't I want to go to church? Why don't I want to pray? Why don't I want to study God's word? Why don't I want to protect my time with God? Why is there this laziness that I just don't care? Well, probably because back in that Galatians 5, there's an idolatry. We love something more than we love Jesus, and we simply just don't want to put in the effort it takes to say no to that so that we can say yes to Christ. These are things we need to watch and be mindful of. You know, lust, again in that list, lust comes in many shapes and forms. It's things that we desire and we look after and we long for. And it goes past looking and it becomes staring and it becomes wanting and it becomes an imagination and it becomes a dream. And then you're willing to conquer for that dream. And so what are you feeding your eyes? It doesn't just have to be a male or a female, it can be money, it can be material, it can be power, it can be safety, it can be health, where you just look after it and you long after it and you say, if I could just have that, it would make life so much better and easier and oh, I long for that and I'll do that, I'll do whatever it takes for that. What are the things you spend lots of time looking and wanting after? Envy, jealousy, and coveting. So these are the things when you take greed and pride, it says, I want that, I need that, and I'll do whatever it takes to get that. Now, I'm going to introduce a new term to you, and I want you to think about it, but it's, it's called theistic mutualism, and that's where God, theism, right, mutualism, him and I, is that we believe God works in a mutualistic way, that I do my part, and then God does his part, right? And so often what will happen is something good will happen to someone and we'll say, why did that happen to them? I'm a way better Christian, right? You've never done that before. So the four of us who have, we feel guilty. And what does that reveal in our hearts? That we have this idea that God, I've done this. I've done these works. If he's getting a Camry, surely I'm a Lexus or a Mercedes, right? That's the more terms of it. It's like, God, I've been doing this. And I'm not doing this so that he can have something better than me. 
It's a mutuality instead of a submission to a father, sovereign king that's back in Romans, right? So you start seeing this, is that that's where all of a sudden we get jealous. And say, God, they don't deserve that. I do. I don't go to church to not have more than that guy. I'm not a good husband so that guy can have a better marriage. I don't give money so that person can have more. I'm not nice to people at church so that I can actually be a good Christian. I'm doing that so I can have a better fill in the blank. So then you covet. You say, that's not fair. And we get angry. And then we envy. And then we get mad. And we do something about it. Right? Anger comes out in lots of forms. It's a, a lack of justice. Or, or it's some type of, I didn't get my way. But anger often comes out as a secondary emotion. Well, what's the primary emotion? Good question. Hurt. We get hurt. We get hurt that we didn't get what we want. We get hurt that they got something better than us. We get hurt that they didn't consider us. They left us out. So then we get angry. And we get so angry and say that you will never treat me like this again. And I will make sure by in my anger, I will show you. I will make you sorry the day you ever messed with me. Well, why is that a problem? Because it doesn't trust God's justice, doesn't trust God's judgment, doesn't trust God's timing. And so anger becomes something that stirs us and drives us to be the justice of God on behalf of God and the name of God often. And so it's watching through that. What makes me angry? What causes me to lose it? What stirs me up? Right? Gluttony. That's the consumption of worldly things past what they should be. Taking a good thing, making it an ultimate thing. Um, one way I'll try to describe it is, has you ever heard somebody moan when they're eating? No, right? It's, that's that's kind of weird, isn't it, right? Now, I'm not saying that's a sin. I don't have a Bible verse, but I'm saying we're on to something, right? When it's satisfying you in a deep, comforting way, and it becomes an access, you're like, oh, I need more, I need more. And we go to that to comfort us instead of going to the Lord. Gluttony and excess, it's in lots of things. We go to money instead of the Lord. We need access. We go to the children instead of the Lord. Go to the spouse instead of the Lord. And then we want it and we need it and we worship it. It becomes idolatry. See, gluttony is the gateway to idolatry. We take good things and make them ultimate things. Where God says, you know, these are good things for you to love and enjoy, but they're not to be worshipped. They're not to take away your anxiety, take away your fear. They're not to be your Jesus. And so what are the things you run to to comfort you that aren't Christ? Moderation is lost and overconsumption is gained. And so those are some things we need to be cognizant of, watch over. Now what's the next part we need to do? We need to be humble. Why do we need to be humble? Because the Bible tells us here in verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing... He deceives himself. See, it's when, we, when we gain confidence because we have this friend and we're like, well, I'm way better than them. We think we're really good. We have pride. We're not humble. Then we don't watch and then we sin. So the Bible's saying you need to be careful. Do not be deceived. Anyone can sin at any time, any place. When I was a young pastor, I know I still look young. I was younger, Right? First, in my, in my pastoral ministry, there, there was a moral failure. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that guy cheated on his wife. So I called the guy I worked for to tell him, like, wow, I'm so much better than this guy. Like, we would never do that. And he goes, Eric, you need to knock it off. 
And he goes, you and I and every other pastor, we're all one decision away from making the exact same mistake. And I was like, what? And he's like, the second you think you're not going to ever do that is the second you will. Let me put it to you this way. People don't wake up and say, today's a good day to cheat on my wife. Right? If you have that feeling, come talk to me. It's, not, it's crazy. Like, you don't just wake up and say, I'm going to cheat today. It's a slow drift. And it comes from not watching your marriage, not watching what's going on. It's the same concept. That, that if we're not watching our relationships and where are we going in these burdens and these wounds and these hurts and where are we filling them from, we too will fall. And so to keep watch, a huge part of that is that we don't view people as pawns in our own kingdom. Like, oh, I love being around you. I feel like a better Christian. I think I'm, so, I'm such a good parent. I'm such a good spouse because compared to you, I look great. By the way, don't ever tell that to your spouse. Well, you know, so-and-so is a way worse husband. You should consider yourself lucky. Because we love it when our kids say that to us, don't we? We know so-and-so's parents let them stay up this late, and they bought them a car, and they do, right? In the same way, it doesn't work to God when we say, hey, you know, God, it could be worse. I could be that guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm so thankful you're not him. How does Jesus treat that in the Gospels? Guy comes to the temple, and he says, oh, praise God, I thank you that I'm not like this other man. And then another man comes and he begs for God's mercy because he finds out he's a great sinner in need of great mercy. Who does Christ encourage? The one who says, I need mercy. Who does he rebuke? The one who says, I'm better than the other man. Okay, So it's very important that we don't see people uh, as a pawn in our game or as a ruler, as a measurement, as a means of false security for ourselves, or we too will be deceived. And in our deception, we will not keep watch because we'll think we don't need to. So it's so important that when we see people, we don't see comparison, but we see compassion. And we say, man, this person needs to gently be restored in the Christ-likeness. See, here's the, the beauty of Christianity is that we are called the dead in sin, Ephesians 2. You can't be more dead, less dead. You can't be a good dead person or a bad dead person. You're dead, Right? So everybody's dead and only becomes alive because of Christ. And only the work of Christ makes us alive and in relationship with God the Father. Therefore, everyone's equally dead and equally needs Jesus. So there's no good, bad, better. That's good news, isn't it? Because you know, we're the ones who put this, well, I'm like a 9 out of 10 Christian and you're like a 4 Christian. And then the people who are 4 say, I could never be 9, so I'll just get in the back door. And then nine say, well, I'm not a four, so I don't need to worry about trying to be a 10. And then it messes everybody up. The Bible uses terms. It says that there's mature and there's immature. Well, how do you treat immaturity? Let me ask you this. Do you look at a three-year-old and go, I'm so much smarter than you. You can't even read. I'm a genius, right? Do you go around and tell people that? You know, I just crushed my three-year-old, right? In the game of Monopoly, couldn't even count. I took the whole board, right? Like, you wouldn't do that, would you? It would be a false sense of security, wouldn't it? Absolutely, because God has us all on a different maturing path. The goal is that we would all be taking the next step in Christ-likeness, not the guy next to us likeness, that we would be looking at Christ's example moving forward, and that other brothers and sisters in Christ would be gently, verse 1, restoring us and helping us Galatians 5.22, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, display 
patience and kindness and gentleness, self-control and peace and goodness and Christ-likeness and godliness and have a good witness that we would help each other in this and we would all be taking the next step in that journey. We would never, never use a three-year-old as a means to brag about our greatness. In the same way, we cannot use other brothers and sisters in Christ as a means to brag or boast of our own greatness. How do I know that? Because the Bible says it in verse 4. Let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. That's pretty specific, isn't it? We're to never look at the guy next to us and say, I'm doing good. Saying, test your own work. Well, who do you test it against? Christ. Here's the great thing. If we all measure ourselves against Christ, we'll never have a reason to boast. We'll only have a reason to keep working to be like Christ. See, then this whole, I'm better than you, it all goes away. That's a good thing, isn't it? It's a great thing. Because I think oftentimes we, we, we look at our Christianity and it's like, oh, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. And you're looking at the wrong standard. It's, it's, we're always going to fail compared to Christ, but we're always moving toward Christ. Be encouraged. The goal is to keep moving towards Jesus. Therefore, be humble. Now the next part, test our own work. We have to measure ourselves against Christ. See where we fall short. And then seek the Holy Spirit, right? The helper to help us in that image. Other Christians help us in that image. God's word helps build us in that image of Christ. And that's our forever goal. And so the work comes with knowing where our work lies and what that work is. John Owen says it really well. He says, let him that would not enter into temptation. So he's saying that, you know, we don't want to get into temptation. Labor. Labor to know his own heart, to be acquainted with his own spirit, his natural frame and temper, his lusts, his corruptions, his natural, sinful, or spiritual weakness. That finding where his weakness lies, he may be careful to keep at a distance from all occasions of sin. Just keep that up there for a second. To labor to know his own heart. Guys, I know we don't like these kind of things because it involves emotions and, and feeling and that, but this is what godly men over a long period of time have gathered from the Bibles that we need to know our own hearts. What tempts us? What twists us? Where are the insecurities? Where's the pride? Where's the anxiety? Where is the I will do it my way? Labor in knowing what that is so that we can begin to keep watch over it, that we too might not fall, that we might be humble. So thinking through testing your work, well, what are the things we should test? You go back to Galatians 5.22. What are the fruit of the Spirit? It says we're to walk in the Spirit. We're to bear fruit in the Spirit because we have the Holy Spirit. So we ask ourselves, you know, am I more patient? Am I growing in that? Or do I have less patience? I should work on that. Am I kind? Am I growing in kindness? Am I more kind than I was the year before, the month before, the day before? However you want to put it. Gentle. Right? Am I open to reason? Self-control? Or do I have less self-control? Do I have more self-control? Pure in speech. 
Your prayer life, do you pray less? Could you pray more? Are you praying more than you were? Are you reading your Bible? Do you read it more? Do you read it less? Do you need to read it more? Generosity, joy, peace, goodness. These are all things to test our own work. Go back in that Galatians 5 list and you say, man, am I growing in these areas? In the same way, am I having less anxiety, less fear, less laziness, less anger, less wandering? Am I noticing I'm growing and not doing these things? This is what it means to test our work, to test it, to see what are the motivations of my heart? Do I do things for my own glory and my own empire? Do I have a mutualistic theism? Hey, God, I did my part, now you do your part. And then we get mad when God doesn't do his part, and then we go do it on our own, and vengeance is ours. Or is it, no, I trust the Lord. I'm here to do his work because he paid for my sins on the cross. My life is a response, Romans 12, a living sacrifice, whatever he wants for his glory. So that becomes the measurement now, the test. Am I doing this for him? Do I love him? And it really gets into how much time am I spending loving the Lord and repenting of my sin? You see this imagery come out in Haggai 1. We're going to walk through this passage real quick. And I just want you to see this imagery because it's very helpful. It kind of contextualizes what we, what we are going through now. So Haggai 1, verse 2, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So let's think Old Testament. House of the Lord is the temple. The temple has the Holy of Holies, which is where God's spirit resides. So what happens at the temple? Let's just think two things. Is that where sin is paid for? With sacrifices, with the high priest? Is that true? Okay. Is that where worship happens? Is that where people sing and the presence of God is there? And they sing to him and they love him, whether individually or corporately. So you have worship and you have sin. The act of being with God and the act of dealing with sin so that you can be with God, right? So verse 3. So then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Verse 4. It is, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? I love the sarcasm, by the way. While this house lies in ruins. He's like, you're dwelling in your house while my house lays in ruins. If his house lays in ruins, what's not being dealt with? Sin and worship, right? Verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Test. Think, right? You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns a wage does so to put them in a bag with holes. He's like, you're trying all these things to bring you comfort, to give you money, warmth, satisfaction, and yet you are empty. Your work is empty and it doesn't fill you. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Are you really filling your insecurities, your fears, your anxieties, your holes, your deepest longings? Is it really working? Verse 8, go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. He's saying, what is missing? You're not repenting of your sin and worshiping me. This is your problem. Verse 9, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you 
busies himself with his own house. He's saying that you don't want to repent of your sin and worship me because you're too busy building your own house, doing things to build your own kingdom, and they don't even work. Now, how do we take that? Think New Testament. Christ dies for our sins, pays for our sins. Temple gone, curtain torn, and now we have access to God the Father through Christ whenever we want. And so then what would the admonition be? That we're too busy building our own kingdom than spending time with the Lord, repenting of our sin and worshiping him so that he might be glorified. This is what it means to test our own work. How often are we going to the Father through Christ saying, I have sinned, forgive me. And that the more we know our sin, we see his goodness in sending his son. The more we see his perfection is, I could never be with you, and yet you love me. I love you. Thank you. So then we worship. We have the ability to do that with Christ to God all the time. Isn't that great news? But it's the same as Haggai, but we're too busy living in our paneled houses, building our own homes instead of spending time with the Lord. So part of the test is, do we know our sin? And are we spending time with the Lord dealing with that sin? Because if we do, the ultimate outcome, the inevitable outcome is worship. We will see he is good, he is great, he is perfect, we are not. We have Christ, we need Christ, and we thank the Father for Christ. That's the natural rhythm and conclusion that happens. A way to summarize it, John Calvin puts it this way. He says, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. There is no proper knowledge of God that does not involve self-understanding. This is what needs to be a part of the test, that we would do our own work, that we would not fall into temptation, that we would know our sinfulness, we would know our temptations, we would watch over them, and that we would beg God for his help, his mercy, we would worship him for his greatness, his glory, his sending his son to die for our sins, And then out of that time of this is our sin, thank you, Jesus, we have a heart that is humble. It says, I couldn't get there without Christ. Wants to walk in the spirit, be like Christ, be gentle, kind, patient, full of peace. And what this passage is getting at is this takes a very intentional watching of our sinfulness, watching Christ, keeping our eyes fixed on him. Maybe a way to summarize it would be like this. Um, There was a man who saw a pilot. And he said, man, your job's so easy. You just get in the plane and let the instruments take you in. He's like, that's got to be the easiest job in the world. And the pilot says, oh, no, no, no. You don't understand my job. He said, I'm constantly watching the instruments. I'm constantly watching, you know, the latitude, the longitude. I'm watching the wind I'm watching the the radar. He says, because if I take my eyes off it and we're just one degree off for any length of time, we could end up even maybe 50 miles away from our destination. 
He says, oh, you've misunderstood. I am constantly watching that we might come to the right destination. And so to think of it like this is that sanctification, growing like Christ, it is our great journey and our destination is Jesus. And we don't want to take our eyes off him for one second. We want to keep watch over that relationship. We want to keep watch over that journey because we want the destination to be Jesus. Because all of us, if we walk with our eyes down, can run into a wall. True? So we want to keep our eyes open and we want to watch where we are going so that we can end in Christ. Some questions we need to consider. What are your temptation areas and how can you guard against them? You know, you got that list back in Galatians 5, like what brings you anger, fear, anxiety? What causes you to want to go distant from God, not trust God, doubt God? What are those things in you and how can you guard against them? Watch over them. Have a plan against them. Get accountability. Pray against them. Arm and equip your mind with his word, right? On what areas of growth do you need to focus? Go through that Galatians 5.22 list. Patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. What's something that if you're around it, you just, you just fly off. You can't be around for some people, you know, it might be social media, it might be shopping, it might be alcohol, it might be sports, it might be, you know, certain people, you can't be around them, you have to partake in the gossip, you have to partake in the, in the, in the banter, whatever it is. For everyone, that'll look different. But what area do you need to grow in? Three, are there any friends that negatively, negatively affect your spiritual growth? That when you're with them, you just go down, you just go down. This is what he's saying, watch yourself lest you too be tempted. Is there anyone in your life that you use them as a pawn in your game of spiritual growth? Man, I'm so glad I'm around you. I always feel like a better husband, a better wife, a better parent. And saying, man, I need to stop viewing them like that. And I need to help them gently, Galatians 6.1, right? Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Help them grow in Christ-likeness. Four. Is there any activity that you need to do less because it stirs up your passion in a negative way? Again, some people, you got to think through this, might be the news, the newspaper. It might be talking with certain people that just, when you start talking, boom, anger flares, envy, covet, jealous, whatever it is, it just stirs you up and you're gone. And you lose your witness and you're not like Christ and you're not patient, you're not gentle, you're not full of joy. You don't reflect Christ. And start watching over that, figuring out how can I limit that, put that way. Ask God to give me patience. Ask God to heal my heart. Ask God to help me trust him. You know, what's your plan in that manner? Five, how can my time with the Lord be improved? We don't want to be like the people in Haggai who say, I don't need to go build the house of the Lord, meaning I don't need to go spend time with him. I need to go do all the things I want to do. Because God warns us it'll leave us empty. It will get blown away. The greatest thing we can do is spend time with him, knowing our sin and knowing his greatness. It puts all things in perspective. And then six, what are some truths about God I can learn? Because man, we need to spend more time with him. This is what Calvin was getting at. The more time we spend with him, the more we know our sin, the more we're grateful, the more we love him, the more we want to worship Jesus, the more we want to look like Jesus, the more we want to be like Jesus, the more we'll watch our behavior for his glory and our good. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. 
and we praise you. And we thank you for Jesus, that he is our example for all of us. And all of us need to be like Christ. And you've given us the Holy Spirit in that endeavor. So it's our prayer that we would watch over our temptations, our sinfulness. And we would, through the Spirit, want to grow into the image of your son, Jesus. That we would dig into your word, that we would pray with other people, that we would hold each other accountable, that we would gently restore each other to a place of godliness and Christ-likeness, that we would walk in the fruit of the Spirit, that we would keep in step, that we would be patient and kind, that we would have self-control. And most of all, I just pray that we would have a desire to love you, to think on you, to be with you, because it is in that time with you we will realize we have everything we need. You are the only one who satisfies. You're the only one who knows us completely and loves us perfectly. And for that, my prayers, you would be worshiped. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.